It's good to see everyone here tonight. Hope you guys are well. You guys know, if you've heard the announcements, that uh, after 10 glorious years in this phase, our ministry is transitioning on. And uh, I want you to know, like, I have happy feelings in my heart about what's happening here and about all you guys, and so, so proud of you. And so next week is going to be our last service. Um, so please be there. We're going to have great food, great music. We're going to have a great time together. Let's just celebrate and be thankful and just, like, this is not a funeral. So no one needs to, like, wear black. Be sad in those things. So we hope that you guys join us next week because it's going to be a great time to remember what has happened over the past decade. So excited for that. But we are people after God's best. This is epic life, not lame life. (laughs) It's that we are pursuing something that's just not good. We're pursuing something that's the best. The reason that we're ending our regular Thursday night service is purely about the fact that God has called us to be the best. And if we're going to be the best in any area of our life, we have to stop doing the things that are good. Because good is the enemy of best. And so this premise of rejecting and saying goodbye to things that are good for the sake of things that are the best has been guiding our decision here. And that's what we're after. And so God's best demands that we embrace a lifestyle that isn't normal. If your life is safe, if it's comfortable, I would challenge you that you're not doing anything that's that significant in the kingdom. So pursuing God's best, though, it's not easy, and it's not comfortable. And so last week I started the, this message about how do you step out and actually experience God's best for your own life. And so while I'm sad about 10 years of a great community and service that's met every single week, and for reference, the average community of like this size or this age and whatnot, like the average lifespan is like 18 months. So we did a good job in exceeding it by nine more years. So I feel fulfilled in that, but I'm excited about all of you guys being released into a new chapter and being empowered and released into who you guys really are. But for us to do that, it asks and demands of us that we pursue God's best that we actually break free the comfort zone, that we actually get uncomfortable. And so last week, I started, and the first thing is to step out, that you will never take possession of something you refuse to pursue. If you want to live powerfully for God's best, you actually have to take a chance. You actually have to step out and break out. And it's the only way you'll ever experience God's best ever. The second is that you have to know that time is of the essence, that time is precious, and not to delay Because you will never find a convenient time to have breakthrough. You will never find a convenient time in your schedule where this is a good time to change my life. You will never find these perfect opportunities to make the bold decisions that are very difficult, that require of you to experience God's best. And worse beyond that is that time will put an expiration date on opportunities. That if we delay, that we don't actually get to walk in fulfillment of God's best. The third from last week is that the calling is the equipping. So many of us, we wonder if God is actually releasing us because we don't feel equipped. But we need to know that God loves an upset story. If you don't feel equipped, you're in perfect position because the call is the equipping. And it's for his glory that we actually defy the odds. God isn't glorified by you doing something perfectly within your capability. He's actually glorified when our result confounds the mind of what everybody has an expectation for us. 
So that's what we left off with last week. I hope you guys would like us to continue. So I hope you have your notes ready because here we go. If you want to have God's best for your life and experiencing it, you have to stop seeking the approval of people. If you want to experience God's radical best for your life, you have to stop seeking the approval of people. Inside us is this innate desire for people to like us, to be happy with us, to applaud our decisions, to support what we're doing. I've been in the presence of people who I love dearly and told them my plans and told them our dreams and like, this is what we want to do, would you help? And they're like, we don't want to help you with that at all. And it's crushing because you want people to be for you, to like you and to enjoy you and and to be uh, fans of yours. And here's the, the challenge is that we live in the most crazy time of our life where we have these little devices made of aluminum and glass that is rewiring our brains to pursue people who like us. We have the social networks, we have the likes, we have the followers, we've got the comments, we have all the things. I love Tim, but dude, you're blowing it up on Instagram. Like 1.5 million people, really? Like your self-esteem must be incredible, right? It's amazing. I got like not even a thousand. And it's amazing because he has influence. That's great. Here's what the problem is that when your influence stops being influence and starts being value. Because when you are on social media and we're living these public lives and you live for the likes, you live for the comments, for the retweets, for the followers, it releases the chemical dopamine into your brain. It's this reward sensation when you post something, people like it. Chemically, you are beginning to alter your brain to be addicted to pleasing people. How many of you posted something like, no one liked that or only got 14 likes. Come on, people. And you like, you start calling people out. This was good stuff, you know. <laughs> it has been proven that these short bursts of pleasure, of satisfaction, of people liking us, that quick dopamine reaction is the ingredients to addiction. I'm not even saying... Stop seeking the approval of men. I'm bringing you to an awareness that you are being rewired to always seek the approval of people. And if you want God's best for your life, you not only need to know that's the plan behind all these communities and devices to elevate you, but it's actually to get you addicted to pleasing people. And no wonder we freak out when people don't like us. No wonder we have a hard time. Like, I'm like a... If someone begins to debate me on Facebook, I take it personally. <laughs> like, I'm like, ah, it's like this bug being drawn into a zapper. Like, I can't stop for some reason. I'm just drawn to it. Chemically, it like gets my, my blood pressure up because I want people to like it. I want people to agree with me. And that pressure to please is called the fear of man. That pressure to please is called the fear of man. And the fairy man says, but if I say that, then people might be uncomfortable. If I choose purity, maybe he might break up with me. But if I fail, they might think I'm a loser. But if I do that, people will think I'm weird. If I stand up, I might lose my job. If I stop doing this, they won't be my friends anymore. If I make this decision, my parents will be disappointed in me. And if you identify with any of those statements, those are just a, a few, the fear of man is present in your life. 
I don't know anybody who doesn't have the fear of man present in their life. What was my permutation of the, the fear of man? It was people-pleasing. It's like, hi, my name's Eric, and I'm a recovering people-pleaser. Like, there's not a group for me, unfortunately, but I identify as someone who's like walked out of a lifetime of trying to please people. And do you know what happens when you're a people-pleaser? You're trying to please everyone. You please no one including yourself. Not even you like you when you're trying to make everyone happy because your life's identity is purely about what other people want, not what you want. And your entire life is run by the opinions of other people. And here's what I've learned about by being a recovering people pleaser. A people-pleasing life never results in life significance. A people-pleasing life never results in a life of significance. This is Mav. I love you, buddy. In other words, people-pleasers never become world-changers. If you have this like drive in you that wants to change the world, impact people, but you also have this thing of like, I want people to like me, you're never going to change the world. You're never going to impact anything of significance. If you show me a great hero, I'll show you someone who's ruffled a few feathers. Every single person in history who's ever done anything worth writing about or remembering has offended somebody on their path. Because you don't change the world by keeping things the same, amen? You actually change the world by instigating a catalyst of change. And people don't like change. And if you're going to pursue God's best, you're going to upset some people. Why? It's because following God and pleasing people are incompatible. Not only is pursuing the pleasure and the likes and the following and the, the confidence and the applause of people, not only is that toxic for your just psychology, it is actually unbiblical and it's impossible for you to authentically seek, reach, and pursue God's best while pleasing people. We know this from Galatians 1.10. In the middle of my challenge of trying to, how do I not have my life be completely torn by pursuing people's opinions of me? A man showed me this verse that says, if I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. It's right there. If I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. Now, Eric Waterbury, he's probably one of the most powerful servants of Christ I know. He cares the least of making people happy that I know. In fact, you could say, it'd make me really happy if you don't step on that. He'd be like, <laughs> you know, because he has so rejected the identity that I'm going to customize my life according to what people want for me. And said, there's one person who I must serve and please. And there's one opinion that matters. And that requires that your opinion doesn't matter. And it's why he lives one of the most powerful lives that I know. But you have to be okay with the fact that not everyone's going to like you. If you want God's best, you have to be okay with the fact that not everyone's going to like you. Chris Valentin has a great quote to this extent that says, I would rather be hated for who I am rather than loved for who I am not. I'm all about that. 
I got some people who like question my salvation just based on my theology. It's like, sweet, that's awesome. It's like, you're totally off base because I, I, I know where I'm going, but that's all right. You can have your opinion and it doesn't bother me in the slightest. But so many of our decisions are based and filtered through the lens of will people like this? And so I was letting the opinions of people who weren't living my life and had no bearing of the consequences of my life give me advice about how to run my life. It's funny how opinions are so easy to give, aren't they? And so here I have all these different people that they're saying, you should do this, you should do this. And I began to look at their life. They're on their second wife. They're on like a strange relationships with their kids. They've got a lot of money, they've got a nice car, but the rest of their life is a train wreck. I'm like, why am I wanting your advice again? Because if taking your advice produces your life for me, I don't want it. And so to be in business, it's actually really hard to find people who you value their life enough to have them speak into your life. Because they're going to replicate after what they've produced in their own life. So when we look at people who want to speak into our life, you have to ask a question of like, do I want my life to look like theirs? Now, I'm not suggesting that we reject wisdom, resist input. I'm not saying that we don't seek counsel. I'm just saying that we should strongly consider the life of those who wish to impart into us and to ask ourselves if we want what they've been producing. Now, unless they're giving warning advice, which some people's lives exist to serve as a warning to the others. (laughs) I'm teasing. But some of your experiences, I like people's experiences to share about how daughters refused to walk down the aisle with their fathers based on what the father did. That gets me. I hear that. So we have to know that there are two forms of opinions, but we have to be considerate of this. But people are so quick to give advice and to hold our lives hostage based upon their approval and their opinions of our lives. But we need to know this is that you cannot let the people who are not bold enough to live your life control your life with their opinions. You cannot let people who are not bold enough to be you, to live your life, control your life with their opinions. Sometimes people have strong opinions about your life based on how to look upon them. You might have some person who's going to like be really opinionated about your life and you think it's about you, but it's actually about them. And that people will offer you opinions according to selfish motives. Here's the honest truth. Is that not every single person on earth wants you to succeed. We want to believe that, don't we? They all want me to win. No, they don't. Not everyone. Pursuing greatness usually exposes mediocrity around you. If that stings, it's because it should. (laughs) Pursuing greatness usually exposes mediocrity around you. Sometimes the great things you are pursuing will bring forth people's insecurities. Because you're doing something that they know they could be doing but aren't. 
they are seeing within you, they're like, I have the same skills. I went to the same school. I have all the same things. And why is your life doing this amazing thing? It makes a commentary on mine. And it's jealousy. It's pride. And so if you are kicking booty in Jesus' name, don't be surprised if people like start coming to correct you, start offering you different advice. But just because you're doing something other people haven't done doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In college, I was dating Camille, obviously. And I'm kind of like the over-the-top guy. I would do flowers, chocolates. I would do custom CD mixes when she goes on road trips for her. I, I did a dinner on a rooftop of a building, and I proposed on a private plane. And do you know what? There were a lot of guys that were mad at me. There's a lot of women dating other guys that were mad at me. Because what I was doing was making them look bad. They're like, dude, like you're breaking the curve here, man. Like they didn't want me to do something great for my wife. Even to the fact when I'm buying the diamond ring that's a symbol of the covenant, I'm considering, is this too big? Is it like bigger than my buddy's ring? Is it like more glorious than this person's ring? And I'm like, I started to not do something great for my wife out of preserving the opinion of someone who I'm not marrying. I'm like, this is dumb. Give me the biggest one I can afford. (laughs) Because I was thinking like, bro, like, if you don't treat your woman well, that's your problem, not mine. Why should I not do something for my woman just because you aren't doing something for yours? And so the jealousy and the opinions come forth when you start to do things that shake up other people's insecurities. What am I getting at? It's to not live protecting the feelings and the opinions of others who are not willing to live the kind of life that you're called to live. You cannot live your life preserving, protecting the opinions of people who are not willing to live the kind of life that you're called to. But if you do decide to live that life, if you decide people's feelings and opinions are important about me, I need to keep everyone happy, I need to make sure I don't ruffle any feathers. Your future will only be as bright as your ability not to disappoint someone. That's the greatest prospect of your future. Is if you're trying to preserve people's opinions about you, your future is only as bright as your ability not to disappoint someone. Bill Johnson has this incredible quote. It says, if you don't live for the praises of men, you won't die from their criticisms. See, we think that pursuing the praise of men, it's like, well, it can't be that bad. We'll just wait until it's no longer praise. If you live for that, if that brings you value, just wait to the feeling of when they bring you criticism. And in this, you have to be able to learn to be satisfied with God's opinion only. The second thing tonight is to be unintimidated by failure. If you want God's best for your life, you have to be unintimidated by failure. Many of you guys know that I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've been doing startups ever since college. I've had a W-2 since I was 16. 
I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But regularly, I'll get people who contact me. Like, I want to talk to you about your startup. Like, you know, I have an idea. I want to talk to you about what I should do. And so I counsel a lot of people on their ideas. And I'm really flattered that they think I'm really smart. I'm just like, I'm not that smart. I really am not. But there is one attribute that I do have that has served me this entire time. is that I'm completely unintimidated by failure. I'm not smart. I'm just stupid enough to try enough things. I kid you not, when I proposed on that private plane to my wife, who we had never said, we'd never talked about marriage at all. At all. I see all you guys like, so hypothetically, if I were to propose, would you say yes or no? You know, I was like, well, why don't you just have the ring then, dude? You know, like hedging your bet if they'll say yes or no. Not only did I walk into proposing to my wife, never talking about marriage, not good counsel necessarily. Her dad thought she was going to say no. He's like, uh, I can't stop you, but I don't think she's going to say yes. It's like, well, this is about to be expensive and really bold. <laughs> Unafraid of failure. There could not have been a bigger possibility of rejection in my life. And I sh- at that point, I could have like unwound the relationship. I could have like completely caved, but I had faith that even if I get into 15,000 feet and I propose and she says, no, my life's going to be okay. It's going to be a really awkward flight back down, <laughs> but I'm going to be okay. And maybe I'll share this story in 15 years in front of a community of people. But that's the tenor of my life. And when I proposed to her, and she said yes, and then the obvious thing is like, well, how am I going to provide for her? Because she was going full-time into graduate school. I'm, I'm a senior in college on my first like, major startup. It's got like no money. I sold my dirt bike to pay for our honeymoon. And so the question is like, well, how are you going to you know, support yourself and things like that? And it's like, I'm going to give me my 20s to risk it all. And if when I turn 30, if I can't provide a stable life for you, I'll, like, I'll, get, a, I'll get a job. Cool. But one of the things is, like, I told her, is, like, nine out of ten businesses fail. And so, like, I'm, like, not doing a good job in, like, creating enthusiasm for her. I said, so it's simple. I just need to create ten. And one of them is going to work. <laughs> the math has rung true in my life. <laughs> I have more than 10, but I got one ringer that's just, just flying. But there's one thing that drives me absolutely crazy. It's people who want to continually defend and give themselves permission to fail. Do you know people like that? They're like talking about something like, oh, like, that's, like, that's good, man. You should like do that. Like, nah, it'll never work. It's like Eeyore. Everything's terrible. Nothing will ever work. Like, no, 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 like, but what if you, no, that won't work. But what if you try, nope, already thought of that. At some point you're like, you got to try something, right? Here's what I've learned in the process of starting a lot of business ventures that have done well but also failed, is that fear of failure invites failure. 
Fear of failure invites failure. And that's not a guarantee that every single thing you're going to do succeeds. But it's a guarantee that you will never succeed by believing you're going to fail. No one is like, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to fail at this. And like wind up like, I'm totally surprised this worked. Fear of failure is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I didn't have pie-in-the-sky dreams that everything I was going to touch is going to work. It's like, but I know that if I say it's not going to work, I can guarantee it's not. Because success is never derived by fearing failure. But success, many times, is derived by belief in victory. Because your belief in victory oftentimes is the ingredient that you need to stay in the game long enough to give yourself a chance. I went four years before I took my first paycheck from my most recent venture. Four years. Most people I meet, they can't go four minutes with the, like, the prospect of like, I'm not going to get paid. It's like, yeah, like you kind of like risk and maybe it'll work out. <laughs> maybe it won't. But we're people of faith. Amen? Yeah. You know what faith is? Faith is fear in reverse. Faith is fear in reverse. People ask, well, how, much, how do I know how much faith I have? If you want to know how much faith you have, just simply investigate how much fear you have. The question is not to try and figure out how much faith you have and to test it. The question is to ask yourself, how much fear is still present in my life? Because where there is fear, there is no faith. Faith says, I'm changed, I'm unchanged, no matter what the outcome may be. I'm going to be okay if she says no. I'm going to be okay if this business goes down in flames. I'm going to be okay if my attempt to reach out to reconcile this relationship falls flat on his face. I'm going to be okay if my pursuits for wholeness take a lot longer than I want. But stepping out for God means that you actually have to take a risk. Pursuing God's best for your life is actually risky stuff. Because it's not, it's not going to happen automatically and without your participation. You see, fear says stop, but faith says go. Fear says it won't, but faith says it can. Fear says give up. Faith says keep going. Fear says I have failed. Faith says I haven't found the answer yet. You guys, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. The reward for fear is when you obey it and its lies and you don't do what you know you're supposed to do. You reward fear in your life. Not only do you reward fear in your life, you actually welcome it. When you believe the lies and it stops you from doing what you know you ought to do. It's believed that Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 attempts to create a light bulb. People ask him, like, I mean, 10,000, that's like, whew, that's a lot. Someone asked him, like, did you ever get discouraged? You know, like, the attempt? And he's like, no, but I do have over 9,000 ways not to create a light bulb. <laughs> Faith says, I haven't found it yet. You see, what we need to do is to remove the fear of failing out of our ideas and out of our dreams. I'm going to go deep for a second. Are you ready? The only way to remove the fear of failing 
at your dreams is to stop placing all your hope into your dreams. The only way to remove fear of failing in your dreams is to stop placing all your hope into your dreams. Let me explain. If you want to be unintimidated by failure, you must never enslave your hope into specific outcomes. We are a people of hope, right? Well, only if it works out the way we want. We're a people of hope. It doesn't matter how it goes. That's the model. You see, your dreams, your ideas are supposed to originate from a place of hope, not contain your hope. Is that making sense? Is that you need to have hope in your life and from, from hope you dream. But what we do is that we create dreams and then we install our hope into that dream. And we make all of our hope contingent upon an outcome. And so if our dream doesn't come true, we're crushed. And so if you're crushed by what didn't happen, you placed your hope and security into a place it didn't belong. Is that connecting? If you are completely hopeless and despair, it is a sign that you placed your hope into the wrong place. We don't place our hope into things. We have hope, and from hope comes ideas, dreams, and visions. Are we disappointed when they don't work out? Yes. Crushed? Hopeless? No. If failure can stop you from getting back up, your hope was misplaced. Hope should be something that can never be taken from your life. Because your dreams, again, they're supposed to be inspired from hope, and your dreams were never meant to contain your hope, and your hope was never meant to be subject to specific outcomes. It says hope does not disappoint, right? In order for hope not to disappoint, your hope can't be in the outcome. The other way to be unintimidated by fear is to, is to consider the worst case scenario. That sounds scary. It's not. So many times someone's like, so I'm thinking about like reaching out to this person. I haven't talked to them in 10 years. Or I'm thinking about starting this or maybe hosting a group. I'm thinking about, you know, maybe really dealing with this problem in my life. I'm thinking about breaking free from this. Like we have all these ideas. And, and my first response many times is like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? Unless you're getting into a rocket ship, the worst thing that can happen is that you go back to living your regular life that you were already living. Your ideas and dreams, the worst case scenario of them not working out is that you return to what you're doing right now. Your current life is the worst case scenario. Well, what if it doesn't work out? Well, do you just do what you're doing now? Your current life, many times, unless you're getting in a rocket ship, the worst case scenario usually is what you're doing right now. 
So whether it's relationships, pursuing growth, making a commitment, you can plug in anything you want in there. The things that you want to repair in your life, the things you want to have victory in. You can take all these ideas and all these things and, and you can ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen? And you can usually find out that it's just to do exactly what I'm doing now. I'm already in my worst case scenario. And suddenly it's like, yeah, I will try that then. And if you do those two things, safeguarding your hope, to be a person of hope that inspires dreams, where your hope is never subject to fall because you put in the outcome. And the second is to always remember the worst case scenario. You'll be unintimidated by failure. Finally, let me end with this. Embrace the wind. Embrace the wind. You may not have noticed, but I'm not that buff. Right? I mean, I'm like, getting all the skinny shirts I can to like try and maybe magnify a little bit what's there. <laughs> and um, I have a problem. Like I, I would like to have muscles, but I have this like one tragic flaw is that um, weights are heavy. <laughs> Anybody identify with that problem? Yeah. I want to have these things, but... I want to be buff, but man, like, but weights are heavy, so, but I want to be buff, but weights are heavy, so, but people, here's the point, is that people are shocked when they realize that great things are difficult to do. People are shocked when great things are difficult to do. You need to know that living God's best, it's not a shortcut. It's actually the long path. It's the most difficult path. People want to say like, oh, just like sprinkle some Jesus onto your life and it'll get it better. I don't know anybody who like that works. Like you're going to get free. Absolutely. You're going to be saved and reconciled. Like all these amazing things are going to happen in your life, like in your spirit. Your spirit is united with God. Amazing things happen when you come to Christ. But your life, like physically, relationally, it might go in the dumps. Why? It's because you're taking a step towards the kingdom. You're making bold decisions to be who God has really called you to be. So don't be surprised when you encounter shipwrecks, when you encounter people want to flog you. I'm like, I'm talking about the early disciples, right? Fishermen, one of the lowly positions of life, decided to be ambassadors for Christ. They upset a lot of people. It was difficult. But pursuing God's best always means that you're choosing the harder path. The easy path is just to live a normal Christian life. That's the easiest thing you could do. Attend church, donate, give, try to swear only so often, but not the F-bomb. You know, like things like that, like we do. (laughs) But God's best doesn't happen by accident. It happens by force. Matthew 11, 12 says this, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. You want to experience the greatest part of the kingdom, you're not seeing guys on lazy boy recliners having to be served to them. They're actually standing up and they're taking it for themselves. God's best for you is ripe for the picking if you'd reach out and take it. But it is uncomfortable to do it, isn't it? And so once you develop God's best in your life, you have to maintain and protect it. 
That's the part. It's like, you don't summit, get a badge, or finish a marathon in the kingdom. You're like, oh, it was great. I get to hide that on my wall. I get my 26.2 sticker I put on my car. <laughs> Pursuing the best of God's kingdom means that you reap the best. But when you have the best, you have to protect what you deserve and what you've earned. My victory in my life right now, it's all about defense right now. Like I, I, I stopped striving. It's like I've, I've cultivated, I've done the hard work to cultivate who I am. And now right now it's like, I don't want to mess it up. The closest thing I have in my life is I don't need to be the best. I just need to not suck. I need, I need to not mess it up. So like my prayer is like, Jesus, please don't let me mess this up. I want to preserve and defend what has been done in me. How many know that you have an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys? Now, how many know that in order to have an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys, that you have to have something that can be taken? If you have someone who steals, kills, and destroys, it means that you actually have something that can be taken from you. If there is no adversary in your choices or in your life, you may not have anything to be taken from you. You're not a threat. Like a lot of people, like, people are really spooky on spiritual warfare. They're like, oh, you over-spiritualize everything. You know, people are like, the devil's coming after me. You know, like, you're so weird. Like, why do you say that stuff? You look at their life, I'm like, well, you're no threat. <laughs> the devil's, like, looking at all the different people he can go after. He's like, nah, you're doing just fine. <laughs> You want to live a life that threatens the kingdom of darkness. You want to live a life that actually cultivates something of significance that's a threat to the enemy so that he actually wants to come against you because if you have no wind, you're not even moving. Your life has to be in such a degree to live in such a way that it's cultivating things that the enemy doesn't like. Because if there's no threat upon your life, there's no resistance, any friction, then you're not really a threat. I'm not saying we want to like walk around with like targets on our back. Not, I don't want to invite the enemy at all. But if I'm living my life contending for the things such as being pure from the internet for 14 years, amen? amen. It means that when I'm like reading some other news article and like some crazy pop-up of pornography pops up on my screen, I close the window. I'm not, like, I'm not surrendering my inheritance in the kingdom to this. Yeah. I've worked too hard. Yeah. And so I'm not going to allow these little onslaughts onto my life, whether they're subtle or overt, to take me out because I'm preserving what God is cultivating in me. I don't know when Kennedy Rose's new album's coming out, but I got a line for you to this effect. Is that... If you aren't feeling resistance, you aren't doing anything of significance. I hope that there's a royalty check coming for me if that makes it in there. But doing great things is hard. Cultivating the great things of life actually invites the enemy who wants to come against you. And that's okay as long as you know that. You embrace the wind. And what the enemy wants to do is to take something that is going well in your life and then to begin to add ingredients into your life to make you walk away. The enemy can't steal your salvation, right? You should say amen. amen. 
His greatest hope for you is actually he can make you live a powerless life. So you might have something that's going great, and then somewhere else, something pops up. I was reading the, in Genesis 39 about Joseph. He had favor in every area of his life. God's hand was upon him. All his wealth and materials were being blessed. All of the external areas of his life were being increased, and then he has a seductress woman at the door. That's not like that he has all this wealth and that Satan's come against the wealth. That could happen. But Satan is sinister in the fact that he's going to try and fight a proxy war into your life. So if things at work are going really well, don't be surprised if like relationships start getting out of whack. If relationships are going really well, don't be surprised if work starts getting crazy. Because the enemy, like he's, he's testing to try and find areas and to try and add ingredients to your life to throw you off. So how do you respond to the wind will actually determine how far you'll go. You embrace the wind, know like, I'm living a dangerous life. I'm kicking booty in Jesus' name. I like to say the other version, but you know what I'm saying? You know that you embrace the fact that this is a dogfight, that my life is significant. I'm forging paths into the kingdom. And so when you encounter adversity, resistance, what do you do? Is you remember that you live in community and you live in family. We're supposed to do good to all people, but especially to those in the family of believers. So when you encounter adversity, when you encounter those wins, there's actually a mandate on my life that it matters to me because we're the body. That what's happening in your life that isn't going well is actually part of my problem. That I am aware of your well-being as well as your not well-being, as well as your adversity. And so when we encounter resistance, when we see people encounter resistance, the biblical mandate is actually we stand up on behalf of each other. We say, yeah, here it is. It makes sense because my life is dangerous. But we come together as a family to respond to it as family. There's someone here who's had kind of a crazy thing happening. Daryl, are you? Daryl. Do you guys pick on you for a second? I never do this. Yep. I think there's only one Daryl here tonight. Come on up, yeah. You're going to do the altar call. It's going to be great. No pressure, right? How long have you been coming to Epic? Uh, I would say about four years. Four years. What do you do after service usually? After service, I uh, help tear down. Simple, but I, I do it. Yeah. Four years. Almost every week he volunteers to help tear down. Um, I saw you Epic last week. Thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, thank how did you get to Epic last week? Uh, I actually, wait, how did I, I get, did I walk last week? No, I drove. Yeah, I drove. So, yeah. Did I, did I, no, I'm, I'm like, no, I'm really trying to remember. How did I get to Epic? I walked. That's right. I did walk. So. Why did you walk? Because uh, I wanted to be here. So, yeah. Well, why did, why didn't you drive? <laughs> why Because I, I had a car tonight. <laughs> Now, why didn't you drive last week? Last week, because I had a car to use. This is like a trick question or something. I'm so confused. Like, why did I, why did I walk and not drive? Because I, I... Why did I walk and not drive? Because I... 
because I totaled my car. So that's right. There we go. I totaled my car. Okay. So uh, I totaled. Why did you guys just say so? How did I not know my own story? Like I didn't think this was that hard of a question. You know what? I am like. So, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, I actually totaled my car last month. Um, it was, I was driving on the 80, coming back up from Fairfield to SAC, and it was a Friday night, it's raining pretty hard, and I got into a car accident on the freeway, and my car was completely totaled. And um, it was a very scary moment. I've never been in a situation like that. Um, thankfully, and fortunately, everybody walked out of that okay. No one was in the hospital, no one went to the ER. Um, and it was just really amazing. Um, and, you know, after that, I was just thinking, like, oh man, I lost my car. Like, and it sucks not having a car because it gets me pretty much everywhere. But um, I am so glad to be here, be alive with you guys because um, I found out that same night that someone had actually gotten into a car accident on that same freeway that night. And someone, it was fatality that night. And it was uh, the, the crazy part, when a car accident did happen, it happened right before I hit UC Davis, and someone in UC Davis on the 80 got into a car accident and died. So it is unfortunate, but my dad had told me, he was like, you know, God, he has you alive, and this is something to be very thankful for, because I could have been very fatal. So, uh, yeah. So... We want to pray for you, man, because like seeing, like hearing about how that happened and just being like super discouraged and like not having a car like affects everything. And so um, I'm just so impressed with your life and who you become. And so could a few of you guys, if you know Daryl, could you come up here? We're going to lay hands on you and just pray for you and just stand as you, uh, with you as you have just this uh, challenge before you. <laughs> We're going to bless you. So Jesus, we just declare that what you're doing in Daryl is good. We thank you, Lord, for just the protection and the preservation of his life. God, we thank you that even being without a car for weeks, he was walking here. Lord, he's been serving us for many years. Lord, he's been sowing in private with no glory, with no spotlight. And he does it because of just who you've made him to be and, and serving us. Lord, we're so thankful for him. We just pray that you would um, just shine your light upon him. God, that you grant him unmerited favor upon his life, that great things would come to him. We stand with him as his family to declare the goodness of God over you, that you will not be hindered by this, that you'll stand up strong, that your future is bright, and we just thank you for your service and your love for this community and these people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So you know what I love? I love how quickly God answers prayer. You know that? It's out front. Wow. 
okay, first of all, wow. <laughs> um, wow. That, um, honestly, guys, like, words kind of even express how I feel right now. This really means so much to me. Um, I don't know if it was a group of you that got together or one person, but um, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. This means so much to me. I feel like I just won a lotto of like a million dollars, and it, it, it really feels that good. Like, that is, um, that is totally unexpected. I, uh, and uh, I, I prayed for this. I was like, God, like... I like I, this is, and I even told Ryan. I told Ryan Miller. He was like, Ryan Miller. He was like, uh, so what is the Pacific prayer you have prayed so far? And I got this from the JC conference. And I was like, I'm be honest with you, Ryan. I want a car without paying for it because I just got my last car, and I don't want to have to save it for another one. And so, wow, that is. Uh, that is truly amazing because I really did not want to have to buy another car. I was going to do it anyway, but I was like, God, like, I really don't want to have to buy another car. I just got this one. And that is, oh, man, like, that means so much to me. Like, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. Um, wow. Um, yeah, man, that's just, wow, that, that just means so much to me. And uh, I came through, you guys came through. Thank you again. Thank you. Wow. So I think we pulled it out from by the fountain. So um, after service, we'll, we'll close here in a second. But uh, we just love on the guy. So um, here's what's amazing. I told you we want to do outrageous things. And this is like a, something that's been in my heart for a long time. And it's like, well, someone who like needs a car that you're in community relationship with, like it's, it was like it's a really interesting thing. It like just struck my heart. And so I reached out to a few people. And... Um, and we raise the money like that, just like that, because they know who you are. They know how you serve here. And just there's something about generosity that draws the kingdom. So I'm going to pick on a couple of you, Stefan and Abel and DJ and the Malots and the Clarks and a few other people. Like, we were funded, like, already. Like, just in the few people, it's like this crazy idea. Um, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. But um, Abel helped find it. Uh, it's detailed. The registration's paid. We got gas money already for you. Um, it looks gorgeous. <laughs> Smogged. I sent Stefan out there to make sure that we weren't, you know, like, it was all up to snuff. He's a rocket scientist, if you didn't know that. So, um, And uh, just the generosity that poured out towards you, for you. That was pretty awesome. So we love you, man. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much again, guys. That, that really means a lot to me. Like, that, uh, Say, can I just say something again? Like, really? Like, seriously? Like, seriously? I was not expecting this. This really means a lot to me. Like, you know, like, this is like, like, seriously? It's just like I just got, like, a Lamborghini today. And I'm like, it's like, that's how much it means to me. Like, wow. So, whew. Okay, wow. Like, now, like, my heart's pumping. Because I thought it was pumping before, but now I'm just like, like, okay. So, there you go. And we had to do some, like, mission reconnaissance work to get your driver's license because it's already registered in your name. We had to get your driver's license without you knowing. Like, we went through a lot of work to pull this off for you, but um, we're so excited, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric's going to come close our, our service, but um, after we're here, yeah, you can clap again.
so fun. Um, but after we're done here tonight, I think we'll do some uh, time here and uh, just go love on him, love on what God's doing here. And just, we celebrate the generosity in this place. Oh my gosh, you guys are, are crazy. So we love it. Well, that's what I got. It's so powerful when you see someone else get blessed. One of the things I've learned in my life is to celebrate their blessing. You may be sitting here tonight and you're like, I don't have a car. But I just encourage you to celebrate the blessing that someone else gets because that prepares your own heart for what God's bringing towards you. God knows exactly what you need tonight. So if you're here tonight, if our worship band could come back up and... Um, we are going to pray because some of you may be sitting here tonight and you actually have needs. It could be inside your heart. It could be a spiritual need. It could be a physical need. Whatever that need is, it would be our honor to pray for you tonight. Some of you actually need friends. We do the friendship stuff, the fun stuff in the back. Actually, the stuff up at the front is fun too. So if y'all will stand uh, these guys are going to just lead us in our worship chorus. Feel free to go to the back, hang out. We'd love to meet and talk with you. If some of our prayer team can come up, we'd also love to pray with you tonight if you have any need. Because whatever your need is, God has something for you. Thank you so much for coming tonight. We will have one more service, and that will be in the Performing Arts Building next week. Uh, so feel free to come and bring your friends. We're going to celebrate what God's done in the last decade and look forward to what's ahead.